Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast. Core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. I'm Anand Swaminathan. And I'm Jenny Beckesme. Now, Jenny, this podcast won't come out until the end of December, but we're recording on December 1st. And you know what December 1st makes me think of? I'm guessing snow, holiday season, candy canes. You know, it's none of those things. It's actually flexor tenosynovitis. That's what it makes me think of. Wait, what? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, it doesn't actually make me think about that, but I had a great case a couple weeks ago, flexor tenosynovitis, and I wanted to talk about it on the podcast. So that's my way of getting into it. Okay. Well, I agree. It's a great topic to do. I will say that that was the worst lead into a podcast topic I have ever, ever heard. Well, I'm very happily going to ignore what you're saying and I'm going to move on. So I am minding my own business. I'm working a day shift. It's a pretty busy day shift. It's the uh, Monday after a holiday, always fun. And I see a finger pain hop up on the patient tracker. And I'll tell you, Jenny, I wasn't working in fast track. So I see the finger pain and first thing that comes out of my mouth are a bunch of four-letter words Mm -hmm. and about mistriaging patients. And then I'm like, okay, okay, what are the things that I have to be thinking about before I go and evaluate? What are the differential diagnoses that are kind of running through your head when you hear finger injury? Okay. So if there's trauma involved, I'm obviously going to be thinking about fractures, ligamentous injuries, crush injuries, subungual hematomas, and then also just your run-of-the-mill strains and sprains and things like that. If there isn't any evidence of trauma, I'm going to be thinking of infectious causes. So cellulitis, perinicia, felons, and of course, the dreaded flexor tenus device. And of course, this brings up two points to get into. One was that the triage nurses are smart and they know what they're doing because this patient didn't have just a simple finger injury. And mm-hmm. two, is it pronounced felon or felon? I say felon. I do too. I could have been doing that wrong forever. I don't nope. know. I've always been saying felon as well. So we're going to stick with it. Okay, now, it's felon. Our particular case was an atraumatic finger injury. So I'm focused on all of those infectious things when I go in the room. The other ones that I add are things like the vascular causes like Raynaud's, which I've seen twice, but both of the patients already had diagnosis of Raynaud's and they came in with finger pain. Uh, so pretty unusual, but something to think about. Now I walk into the room and there's a 40 year old woman. She's got a history of diabetes and she's clearly uncomfortable. Her left third digit is red and it's swollen and it's warm. And my initial thoughts are, This is a cellulitis. It's a simple cellulitis, no big deal. But what differentiates the cellulitis from the flexor tenus synovitis? Well, cellulitis is simply an infection of the skin, whereas flexor tenus synovitis is an infection of the flexor tendon sheath. So we're talking about a much, much deeper infection here. While most patients with cellulitis will clear up with some antibiotics, flexor tenus synovitis often requires surgical management. So clearly then it's going to be important for us to distinguish these two because we don't want to give the flexor tenosynovitis some antibiotics and send them home. There's clearly going to be some morbidity associated if we don't make this diagnosis, if we don't figure this out. And much of that is going to be in decreased functionality of the finger, although you can progress to deeper infections as well. So how do we make this diagnosis, Jenny? Well, it's a clinical diagnosis. There are four clinical signs that make you think about the diagnosis, and they're often referred to as the navel signs. K-N-A-V-E-L. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I think I might be. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one either. We're going to put that with feline. It's either okay. it's either navel or canaval, and uh, somebody will call or in and correct us. canaval even. Canaval, oh, God. Someone's going to tell options. us. Somebody's okay. going to tell us the right, diagno- the right pronunciation. But what are those four clinical signs we have to be keyed in for? So first, tenderness along the course of the flexor tendon. Second, symmetric swelling of the finger. So this is often called that sausage digit. 
Third, pain on passive extension of the finger. And fourth, the patient is going to hold, kind of sit with their finger in a flex position at rest because that's the most comfortable position for them to be in. Now, I love a good clinical diagnosis. And as always, it's important to note that it's unlikely the patient's going to have all four clinical signs. Those aren't always going to be present. From my experience, though, there's little evidence to support this. But the third sign, the pain with passive extension of the finger, that seems to be the most important. That seems to be the one that's going to help you clinch that diagnosis. Now, going back to our patient, she actually exhibited all four signs. The finger was quite swollen. It was held in flexion. She had any pain with palpation of the digit and any attempt at extension, that passive extension, she had excruciating pain. So it's a pretty clear-cut case, it sounds like. So were there any labs or, or tests that you did to help you catch this diagnosis or clinch this diagnosis? There's no real gold standard diagnostic test. And again, this is a clinical diagnosis that you have to make. But like with all infections, there are some things that we can look for. There's some labs that our consultants are going to ask for. So the patient did have an elevated white count, and that's pretty common in these cases. As in many soft tissue infections, CRP and ESR may be elevated, but those are nonspecific markers. So they can't necessarily clinch the diagnosis for us. A plain x-ray is helpful, especially if you think there's an underlying fracture or a retained foreign body, because some of these patients do have minor trauma associated with the infection. And I've seen that a couple of times with IV drug users where they've got a retained needle. If you think there's an abscess in the hand, the ultrasound can be useful. Or if you're not as good with ultrasound, you can get a CT. MRI can be diagnostic, but let's be honest, it's typically not necessary to make the diagnosis. Let's say that I trust my clinical skills. I am convinced based on the clinical signs that this is a flexor tenosynovitis. What's the next thing I need to do? Well, so I mentioned that antibiotics aren't going to fix this, but just because they're not going to totally fix the problem, you're still going to want to get them started. So the most common organisms that are going to cause flexor tenosivitis are your staph aureus and your streptococcal species. But you've also got to consider whether your patient is at risk for gram-negative organisms. This patient was a diabetic. She'd had ulcers in the past, so she was at a high risk for gram-negative infections. So we were going to have to cover her pretty broadly. In that case, I'd probably give vancomycin and piperacillin tazobactam. In a patient without all those risk factors, you could consider just giving a first-generation cephalosporin like cefazolin or cephalexin if you're not worried about MRSA, of course. Now, also remember to consider a tetanus prophylaxis. There may have been some minor unnoticed trauma that the patient had that introduced this infection. So if their tetanus isn't up to date, just go ahead and give it. It's a good public health thing to do anyway. And while staph and strep are the main things that you have to be worried about, if you look at the recommendations, they often do recommend going a little broader, even saying that probably this is just going to be a staph aureus or a strep kind of infection. A lot of places do still recommend using something like ampsalbactam uh, instead of just cefazolin alone to make sure that you are covering for the gram negatives that could be there. You mentioned surgery may be needed, so we're going to have to get our consultant to the patient to evaluate them. This is either your hand specialist or your orthopedic surgeon, and these patients often are going to need incision, drainage, and a washout. Most of the time, they're going to give the patient 24 hours on antibiotics to see if they improve on their own, but often that's not enough and they need a trip to the operating room. And so all of the patients that I've seen where I'm really worried about this, the consultant admits them to the hospital, starts them on antibiotics, and then sees them a little bit later, either later that day or later in the morning, and then makes the decision about going to the OR. Jenny, how about finishing this up with some take-home points? Of course. So first, Think about flexor tenosynovitis in a patient with atraumatic finger pain. They may have any combination of these signs, tenderness along the course of the flexor tendon, a symmetrical swelling of the finger, the sausage digit, 
pain on passive extension of the finger, or the patient might just hold their finger in that flex position at rest because that's the most comfortable way for them to be. Second, give antibiotics to cover staph, strep, and possibly gram negatives. And then last, get your surgeon to see the patient. While we can get the antibiotics started, these patients need admission and may require a surgical intervention. Well, that's all for the Coriam podcast this week. And we're going to be taking off a couple of weeks for the holidays, but we'll be back in January with some great stuff, including idiopathic intracranial hypertension, hip dislocations, and toxic alcohols. In the meantime, come on over and check out the site at coreyem.net. We've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core post up on Wednesday and a journal update up on Thursday. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page, follow us on Google Plus, and on Twitter where our handle is at core underscore EM. Thanks, and see you all next week.